I hate to break up such a warm fellowship, but we, uh, we do need to get into the Word uh, this morning. Well, this morning's story is just a rollicking, good-fashioned old story. It's a wonderful story of adventure. It's one of those uh, wonderful sort of classic stories of, of, you know, such wonderful hope starting out and diving down into the depths before uh, emerging uh, with, a, with a happy ending this morning. It's... Uh, it is a, it's a really compelling yarn. It's a story about how following Jesus, uh, something we call uh, discipleship, can sometimes get tough, can sometimes cost you. Uh, it's a story about how uh, serious rock and roll, hardcore discipleship uh, can often be very costly indeed. It's about how these rock and roll disciples can nevertheless sing even in the midst of, of persecution. It's about the reality and the power of the demonic in this world, and it culminates in one of the greatest conversions in, in history, the conversion of a real hard case. One of those people that I'm sure you might have in your life thinking, God could never be able to break through this person's defences. It's a source of great hope for all of us, I think. It's been a source of inspiration for me, and I hope so too for you this morning. So let's get cracking. It starts off our story this morning on the way to prayer. So I think that would be a good way for us to start as well. Friends, let's pray. Our God of grace, capture our minds and capture our hearts in this moment, we pray. Amen. Uh, it's Acts chapter 16, it's Philippi, where on Paul's second great missionary journey. It's Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through to 34, if you're wanting to follow along on your Bibles or on your device. Uh, it's Luke writing, of course. Uh, you need to know that Luke's gospel and the book of Acts are really one work. It's separated in your Bibles by John's gospel. But in reality, that's one separate work, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Luke's Gospel is the story of, of Jesus' ministry, and then Acts is a story of the early church. But this is Luke writing to God, whose name means God-lover, uh, Theophilus. Theos, meaning God, and, and Philos, meaning love. So the lover of God. So if you're a lover of God, this letter is written to you as well. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once when they were going to a place of prayer, they were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. 
after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. In that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What a miraculous story. It's amazing what can happen on your way to prayer. So the situation is that Paul and Silas are headed out on their great missionary journey and they're in, they're in Philippi. On their way to pray, they run into this slave girl that was possessed by an evil spirit. She was a slave girl making a great deal of money for her masters by, by fortune telling. So the first thing I need you to note here about this, there's a couple of people being liberated in this passage, two very different people. Firstly, this slave girl. She was bound both spiritually and socially. She's been exploited by both her human masters and in the spiritual realm. As the apostles pass by, the spirit registers something. The spirit, this evil spirit, recognizes Paul and Silas for who they are and starts proclaiming, starts telling anyone that will listen, these are servants of the Most High God who are offering you the way to salvation. So this is the first little takeaway from our reading this morning, I think, is that the occult is real and can do amazing things. Just because someone or someone can do a miraculous or amazing thing doesn't mean that they are necessarily from God. Church, we are foolish if we dismiss things like astrology or Ouija boards or dabbling in the occult or crystals, any sort of this new age spirituality, if we dismiss it as a silly bit of nonsense, as a bit of fun, as meaningless bits of fun. It's, it's not. It's dangerous. Can I encourage you to steer clear of it? There's a couple of things you can hear me say over the years about the power of evil. Two things that you can make a mistake. I think people often fear either one side or the other. One is to become consumed by it, to see an, a, a, a devil, to see a, a, a demon behind every bush. And the other extreme, which I really think a lot of our modern Western friends 
the trap they're falling into is to ignore it completely, pretend like it doesn't exist. That's the first thing from this little reading. Not to dwell on it, but just be aware that the power of evil is, is real and it is present. Be on the lookout for it. Be on your guard against it. Don't, don't dabble in it. But the surprising thing about this particular demon is that it seems to be doing the work of evangelism. It is running around, following Paul and Silas around, telling everybody who they are, and it's telling the truth. They are indeed servants of the Most High God, and they are offering the way to salvation. So what's the, what's the problem here? Why is Paul getting upset by this? You would think that he's missed out on a wonderful opportunity for some free advertising for the gospel, wouldn't you? Here is a, a person that is already recognized as sort of a, a spiritual authority in, in Philippi, telling everybody about who they are. So it makes you wonder why Paul is a bit stroppy about this and eventually casts the demon out of her. Well, I, I think what's happening here is that like Jesus before, remember Jesus, this would happen with Jesus as well. The, the demons would recognize Jesus first. They knew who Jesus was and apparently, again, were also very happy to advertise the fact but Jesus also was unhappy about this. Jesus also would command the demons to be silent, to be quiet, because I think both Jesus and Paul didn't want their truth being communicated in this way. The manner in which you communicate matters. There is more to the gospel, more to the good news of Jesus Christ than simple truth-telling simple intellectual assent. You can be saying words that are true, but if it's not backed up by your actions, then it makes a mockery of your words, doesn't it? We see this in the church all the time, and it breaks my heart every time we see a well-known pastor uh, having a fall from grace. The media love to pick up on it, don't they? It damages us all when the world sees that this fella's words didn't match his actions. And I think that's what's happening here in this instance. Here is a demon, some sort of spirit is, is, is giving this girl a power and an insight, but they don't want God's truth being communicated by this demon. This demon was enslaving this girl. This demon was exploiting this poor girl. And so... The lifestyle of how we live matters when we come to be proclaiming God's truth. We need to be proclaiming God's truth, the gospel, in both word and deed. We've got to be, make sure that we are living in conformity to the gospel. Our message to the world needs to be more than just words. It needs to be backed up by actions. They didn't want this demon broadcasting Jesus' messianic identity. The Christian truth is more than just the words that come out of our mouth. Our living must be in conformity with the will of God. I heard a really good story, a really good modern day example of this from a book called City of God, uh, City of, of Satan. And the story goes, the author was working in the inner city amongst disadvantaged uh, kids and the young girls were in danger of being dragged into prostitution. Uh, they would target the, the attractive young teenage girls and in effect turn them into modern-day slaves by selling them to wealthy men out in the suburbs. The story goes that the author 
uh, was managed to connect with one particular young girl called Eva, uh, and the church did a wonderful job of connecting with her, and, and the youth made, came around her, and, and she gave her life to Christ. Uh, she surrendered her life to Christ and started attending the church. But a little while later, um, the author found out that she was no longer uh, attending the church. Uh, she, had, she had fallen away. Uh, Robert Lithicum is the guy's name. And, and he went to her and she couldn't even look him in the eye and said, look, I gave in, okay. And, 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 and he said, well, how could you do it? Why would you, why would you do this? And she said, well, they were threatening my father and they were threatening my brother, and then they beat him up and they put him in hospital. When they started threatening my mother, I gave in, okay, Bob. And he, he said, I was so naive, and he, he responded rather ungraciously, unlovingly, why? Why would you do this? Why didn't you go to the police and tell them what they're doing? She responded by saying, Bob, who do you think they are? insinuation was, was that the police was, were caught up in this system, this incredibly evil system. They were part of, part of the racket. And in that moment, this good Christian fellow realized that in order to reach this inner city, he needed to simply do more than convert minds, more than just giving an intellectual assent. He realized that in order to really free these people, free these girls, he needed to take on the evil institutions around him. He needed to take on this modern-day version of slavery. He needed to confront and to tear down those elements of the culture around him that were, in fact, enslaving people. It's one of the reasons why my family is so passionate about serving Light Home. Uh, they do both, they minister and serve in both word and deed. They do indeed bring people into a living, breathing, personal faith in Jesus Christ, but they also rage against uh, the frankly evil uh, caste system in that country that keeps some 300 million Dalit or untouchable people as being treated as lesser than the animals. So here we have Paul and Silas. They are arrested because, of course, this young woman's ability to tell fortunes is no longer there, and so their owners are very unhappy. Her owners are very unhappy about this. So they're dragged before the authorities on trumped-up charges. They are, if you have a look at the text, they are stripped, they're flogged, and they're beaten with rods. So this is a fairly intense old-school beating. It's, it, 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 you would be beaten to within an, an inch of your life in, in some cases. They are in a bad way as a result. And they are thrown into prison. Again, if you have a look at the text, if you've got it open in front of you, you'll see that they are thrown into the inner cell the darkest part of the jail. Don't think modern jails. I've been to jail a couple of times. Um, I've visited jail a couple of times. And I have, and I have been into the inner cell uh, of one particular jail. And it was one of the saddest places I've, I've ever been, as a matter of fact. I visited um, uh, the inner portion where they, they keep the men that were convicted of, of pedophilia. And if you know anything about the modern jail system, they need to be kept separate from the rest of the jail population for their own safety. And it was one of the saddest places I've ever been, the inner cell. These were old men. These were not like the guys that I saw out in the, outside in the yard who were big, muscly young fellas. These were broken, old, pathetic men. It was the saddest thing I think I've, I've ever seen, being in that part 
the inner part of that jail. Mind you, they were well looked after, well fed and well watered. In the ancient world, forget about it. This is a dungeon. The only people who were keeping you company at this point were the, other, were the rats and the lice and maybe the moans and groans of agony of your fellow inmates. They were placed in the stocks. This is a, an ancient sort of almost a, a mild form of torture because your legs would, would cramp up. And, of course, being in stocks, you couldn't move, you couldn't stretch them out. So they are in a, a bad way at this point, and it is, it is midnight. But what are they doing? They're singing hymns. This is our next little takeaway, that even in the darkest moment, the follower of Jesus can sing. This is a real challenge for me, and I think it probably is for you if you're honest with yourself. For we modern, comfortable Aussie Christians, when things go wrong, the slightest little thing, we roll our eyes and we get frustrated, don't we? It's amazing what petty things frustrate the modern Aussie churchgoer. Uh, someone says something they don't like and they leave or they change the service time and they leave or they change the colour of the carpet and people leave or change the, the songs they don't like. People leave. Um, it, it, it's amazing how complacent and entitled uh, we modern Aussies are and it's crept its way into the church. This is a, a challenge for us to be thinking of Paul and Silas in this foreign city, having been treated like this, placed in stocks at midnight, and they are singing hymns. It's a hymn fest in there. This is, this is amazing. This is a challenge for each of us. As a follower of Jesus, we don't seek happiness, which depends on happenstance, if things happen to go well for you. Here is a challenge for us to be able to sing, even when times are tough, as Billy Ocean once said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know it, all the 80s music fans out there. We can still offer praises to God even in the dark of night. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, uh, a wonderful old Baptist preacher. I'm sure some of you might be familiar with, had a wonderful great big beard. Uh, he said this, any fool can sing in the day. But it's, he said it's easy to sing. When we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful singer can sing with never a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God, not in the power of men. Isn't that inspirational? Paul and Silas were not singing in their own strength. They were singing in God's power. So even in your darkest hour, we can know that there is a God who doesn't make mistakes, that he's working together for the good of those who love him, and if we look for it, he'll even give us a song in the darkness of night. So they're singing hymns. It's a hymn fest in the jail, and God's tapping his foot. And the result is an earthquake, a miraculous earthquake. Shakes the foundations of the jail, um, busts open their chains, and swings the doors open. It's, it's miraculous, one of those God moments. Now, this next part of the story is, is really key as well. The jailer sees this, what's gone on, and assumes that the prisoners have all escaped. Now, back in the day, if you were a jailer and your prisoners escaped, you paid for it with your life. You were executed. The other thing you need to know about this man, he was probably a former Roman soldier. Philippi was a Roman city in those days. And so in northern Greece, you can still visit this place still today, by the way. A Christian faith is not 
faith is dislocated from worldly events. It's rooted in this world. God broke into human history. You can still go and visit Philippi. But that night in Philippi, uh, God stepped in, caused an earthquake, and this ancient Roman uh, jailer, probably an ex-Roman soldier, they got all the cushy public service jobs. They were tough, they were reliable. So this guy's probably a bit of a hard man, being a former Roman soldier, seen and done it all. He draws his sword and is about to kill himself. He's going to be executed anyway, so he's saving himself the public shame. And here is another incredible challenge for me and I reckon for all of us, Paul at this point yells out, stop, don't hurt yourself. We are all still here. Think about this at the moment. Think of all that he's been through. The door is wide open and he refuses to take his own freedom, knowing that his freedom would have cost the life of somebody else. Pretty amazing stuff. This amazing compassion and grace from Paul is what I, one of the things I really want you to see from today's, from today's text. This story takes us beyond our own wants and needs, beyond our own individual freedom, our own desire to save our own life. Paul is, after everything that he's been through, is choosing to save the life of somebody else. Paul, of course, would have been He'd been singing hymns in the darkness of, of night. He'd been preparing the way for this moment. He might have even have been proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to this fella as he was being put in the shackles. Who, who knows? But the jailer obviously saw something in Paul and Silas and wanted it for himself at this point. I want to be able to endure that sort of pain and suffering and still to be able to sing like these guys. I want this in my life. I've never seen this integrity before. What must I do be saved? He falls before them and asks that most important of questions. What must I do to be saved? And Paul's gloriously simple and simply glorious answer, no need to do anything. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen? So the final thing that I want you to see in this story is that nobody's so far gone that God can't soften their hearts and, and save them. Note, however, that uh, the jailer asked how to be saved tells us that Paul had probably been witnessing to him laying, laying the groundwork. How are you going in laying the groundwork in your place of business, in your place of leisure or play, wherever you spend your week? How are you going, scattering the seed, laying the groundwork when those hard cases may one day come to you and ask that wonderful question, what must I do to be saved? Well, the jailer and all of his household, by the way, are, are baptised. They come and uh, surrender their lives to Christ and are radically changed as a result. When you really get saved, you really get changed. Look at the difference in his behaviour. He comes and dresses their wounds and cares for them, something that he should have done, of course, when they were admitted to his jail. He brings them into his house, prepares a meal for them. This man is, again, more than just mere intellectual assent to a set of beliefs. This guy's actions, he's moved to change the course of his life by what he does. When you really get saved, you really get changed. So there you have it, friends. A pretty amazing story, don't you think? 
A few things there to take home, uh, to recap some of our major themes. Uh, The power of the occult is real and can do amazing things. Be wary of it. The Christian truth is more than just words that come out of your mouth. It is the way you live your life, such as showing grace and compassion, even on those who persecute you like Paul and Silas did that day. Even in difficult situations, we can still offer up praises to God. And finally, the gospel is for everyone. There's no type. This jailer, being a former Roman soldier, remember, would have had a fair bit of authority and status in society, unlike, of course, this slave girl. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. God's church is the most diverse family in the world, and we praise God for that. But let me leave you with one final little take, one final little observation. At the center of Paul and Silas's life was a whole new way of living. They came to faith in Christ and were miraculously changed as a result. They now base their life on the ultimate example of someone repaying evil with good, that of Jesus himself, dying on the cross, praying for the forgiveness of those who were killing him. They didn't take their own freedom at the expense of the jailer's life because they had already received their freedom at the expense of Jesus giving his life up for them. This was and is radical stuff. Christianity was born into a culture that was just as resistant, just as, just as hard, was hard ground back then like it is in modern Australia. The gospel, the good news of Jesus sounded radical, sounded dangerous, sounded absurd, and it was quite revolutionary and subversive just like it is today. But the case for Christ was made with such strength and with such integrity, with such a strength of conviction that it changed the known world. So church, can I challenge us this week to go out and to do likewise, to go out and to be breaking the chains from all that binds our fellow Australians, bringing them freedom in body, in mind, and in spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at this story and we are uh, challenged and we are a little bit overawed, Lord. Ours is a comfortable land. Ours is a land of plenty. We don't seem to struggle very much. Our faith isn't one that is persecuted to the extent like we read here this morning. So, Heavenly Father, give us the sort of conviction that Paul and Silas were able to muster in witnessing to our neighbours, to our friends, to our family members, even to those who might persecute us, even in times of trouble, even in the darkest of nights break in and capture our lives in order that we might be set free, Lord. Set us free from all that binds us and help us to go and do likewise, bringing freedom to the captives, Lord, breaking the chains that all that enslaves our fellow Australians this week. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. We're going to